0: Hi, this is Cam Smith, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website.
1: Hey, guys, why don't we eat? Dear, don't cause a fuss. I'll have your spam. I love it. I'm having spam, spam, spam.
2: Cookies. Corn
1: cold corn cold corn, corn, corn lights. <whistles> Anyone fancy a soup Suit you, sir. Spam, 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 baked beans, spam, 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 and spam. I said I don't want any
0: damn
3: vegetables. Lentils are really good, you know. Mm, forbidden donut. <whistles>
0: Ladies and gentlemen, it's the afternoon here at 3RRFM. Triple I am so glad you could join us, whether it's uh, in the present or the future, which we'll be looking at that and you'll be thinking it's the past. I don't know. It's uh, one of those strange dichotomies of our world. Dr. Shane, thank you very, very much as he uh, bids adieu. Or uh, bonsoir, or bon hello, whatever, um, for his guests who were in studio, which is uh, kind of an exciting thing. And the other exciting thing is, across from me, I have Carl Chapman. Carl, good afternoon, Cam. I like the your, your mic placement there because we're we're going to be going on Zoom here, so you're you're speaking down into the microphone. Looking well. Thank you, and you, uh, newly shorn. Oh yes, yes, it's uh, it's a bit of a, a quite a um, quite a departure from my normal look of the last couple decades. Where yes, I've I've cut my hair, which is uh, kind of good, I'm saving a lot on shampoo. Dapper as well. Oh, stop it! That's you're too. You are too kind. Uh, we got. A, Interesting show for you today. We're going to be going all around the place, uh, starting off with uh, the redoubtable Matt Preston. Uh, Matt Preston, a man of enormous curiosity, we uh, would have to say, in uh, in a world of flavour. And, uh, in fact, that's kind of um, appropriate because he's just released a book. It is called World of Flavour by Penguin Lantern. I reckon it's his best one yet. I really, really do. 350 pages. Uh, and he's standing by. We're hoping that he's going to come in on Zoom shortly, although we have given him a couple of minutes, Grace, so he's probably just standing by being the total professional that he is. Well, he is going to be looking at a whole bunch of favourite foods and also some of the most requested foods on the internet and – Posing the myths that come around the origination of some of these dishes and using his vast talents and libraries and uh, contacts, he either debunks them or agrees with them. So I'm looking forward to a really, really good chat with him. Michael Buschetta uh, from WorkSmith is going to be joining us after that and he has been proposing... A worksmith industry membership, which uh, will give benefits to all sorts of places. Whether you're uh, you're a big restaurant group or you're uh, you're a cafe with uh, a couple grip handles on your coffee machine, as to uh, buying power and uh, the power of collective, I think would probably be the best way to chat with that. And then in an evocation on radio we are going to take you to the river that sits bestride two continents, the uh, the continent of Asia and Europe. And I'm speaking of the city of Istanbul, previously known as Constantinople, uh, and the Bosphorus River, and how a fish sandwich became an inspiration for, um, well, Managing to maintain a business. I'm speaking of the restaurant, it's called Tulum in uh, Carlisle Street, 217, if my memory serves me correctly, in Balaclava. And um, we talk about how this fish sandwich managed to keep him uh, sustained, keep him busy, and also by serving it through the window of his restaurant during. These harsh, harsh lockdowns that we've been going through uh, has managed to, well, keep his uh, his business uh, afloat. But let's see. What else we got here? Um, yeah, we're going to have some music, of course. Um, yeah, just one track because uh, we've got a bit of a – well, it is kind of uh, pretty well packed out, I've got to say – and uh, as we uh, as we go to air here at uh, the beautiful corner of uh, Blythe and Nicholson Street in downtown East Brunswick, again, uh, before we do go into things, I know it's been a while since we've spoken about this, but hey, Radiothon—it's uh, it has been over for a little while. But I just want to again acknowledge and say a huge thanks to all the people from this wonderful. Community that supports and listens to uh, to this fine radio station uh, for the support. The prize has been announced and everything like that. But again, I just want to acknowledge that the your contribution is uh, is more than just radiothon time. It manages to keep us on the air for well pretty much the the whole year. Hey, Carl, I got a bit of an idea here, buddy. Um, we're just waiting for Matt to go in. Maybe what we might do is um, maybe a couple sponsorship announcements um, and we're going to get Matt Preston, who's the first cab off the rank for the show today.
1: Independent Melbourne Radio 3 R.
0: It's Matt Preston back on the R's with a rather awesome book, World of Flavour. Matt Preston, I see you over there and I say I've missed you. Uh, great to see you, and welcome back to the R's, my friend.
1: So long as you aren't, so long as you aren't saying to me, you're on mute, mate. We're okay.
0: Haven't done that. No, no, we're we're, That's we're good. We're, we're... I'm not on
1: mute. It's fantastic. It's a it's an absolute it's an absolute first for the um for the for the, for the Zoom technology. It's wonderful. Yeah, no, it's it's lovely lovely to be back talking to you, Cameron. And congratulations on 295 uninterrupted years on radio. You are. You are, I think, longest now the longest running food show in the world, aren't you? I can't I think be... anything else that even the... eclipses that. You're, is a, you're, you're a true icon of Melbourne.
0: I'm the Methuselah of media.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, you're, yeah well, True. You and I both do somewhat do look somewhat <laughs> older than when we we first met many years ago.
0: Actually, you know what? I have a great picture of you from many, many, many years ago, pre cravat. It was uh, uh, you in the uh, in the studio. With, uh, with a lovely blue T-shirt, looking like he'd have a very, very enjoyable night the night before. <laughs> and uh, and I had to laugh, and I thought, there he is, there's Matty. Um, but in that oh. time, my God, we've lived our lives, we've done so much. You've written quite a few books, and I've got to say, yeah. quite honestly, I reckon this is your bloody best one yet, you know that
1: it's got it's got a bit more it's got a bit more kind of substance to it. I think uh-huh. cookbooks tend to be quite they tend to be quite frothy affairs, don't they? You know, it's kind of like yes. a, every introduction is "Hi, my grandmother used to make." You know, it's kind of it, it's very <laughs> it's kind of predictable. You, you, you've seen them. Hi, my 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 hummus is different. My grandmother taught it to me, and it uses chickpeas. It's like, well, that's yeah, the same well, recipe I've seen in yeah, every you. other book this year. Yeah. Um. So the idea really was, you know, obviously with any cookbook you do. Especially for me, it's got to be readily, readily achievable, approachable ingredients. Recipes are easy to make, yes. um, and basically tastier than 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 the your your existing version of that dish. If it's a and curry, my and curry has got to be the one you go. Actually, I might just nick that idea or mm. start making this recipe instead. Um, but then, but then there has to be something else. And, and obviously, with the the amount of spare time I've had, which I've loved, yes. um, I've been able to actually delve into the. The kind of the, the, be like a Marvel or a, a Stan Lee character, and delve into the origin stories yes. of all these great dishes, and, and that and that is an incredibly complex and fascinating area for a food nerd like me. Yes, um, and the, there's some great high headline stuff, but there's also there's also just you realise how much bullshit is yes. talked about food out there. How much stuff that has become kind of like no, that that's absolutely the truth. And you actually dig down, you see there's absolutely no substance for the claim, and there's that. There's someone out there, someone who's been ignored cruelly, cruelly. ignored, who yes. should be credited as the um, the true inventor of the dish.
0: So there's a little bit of Bob Marley in this uh, in this book. We could say then, Matt, in that uh, this could be not your redemption song, but maybe uh, in your own personal way, a little <laughs> bit of a, a redemption tome.
1: Well, yeah, look, look, and, and look, that's absolutely true. I mean, I think the I've been writing about the history of dishes and writing, then writing a kind of modernised recipe for. For seven years now, um, yeah. in taste and and so definitely, that I thought it'd be great. I'm just going to nick those those early those early art columns. There'll be the introduction. That'll be fantastic. But but what's happened in the last um, in the, those last five six years has been the sheer volume of old newspapers that have been digitized, oh, of yeah. um, antique cookbooks that have been been put online. If you want to read Bartolomeo Scappi's, you know, seminal first book from the early Early 16th century, 1500 or so. He was, a, he was a, You can actually now read that book online. You can actually read it. I mean, obviously, it's written in it's it's written in a language you're going to have to translate. Yes. But, but you can actually then see whether whether or not he talks about making gnocchi. What's in the gnocchi that he's making? Making back then, obviously, it's not potatoes because we're kind of you know uh, the potatoes we still haven't have, need, haven't penetrated. We into need Europe. the Columbus
0: um, exchange, don't we, before we can do well, that. That, that.
1: Yeah. Well, and 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 also we actually need need, need a period of acceptance, and it's a it's a long long time. Like gnocchi predates gnocchi made from grated old stale bread and a bit of flour, hmm. or from squash and stuff like that. Predates potato gnocchi by by four hundred years, five hundred years. Um, so, so I mean, that 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 that's, that's fantastic. You can actually find now primary sources that you never knew existed. When in the old days, it was like, you yeah, know, there's, there's a recipe for this dish in this book, but no one's actually seen that book. No one's actually been able to lay their hands on it. Mm. You know, no one's been able to actually you know, pop it in and actually flick through the pages of you know, the court records of Akbar the Great from the 16th, the 17th century, um, where you can read about, you know, and you can read about all the amazing stuff, you know, the first samosas that are are being made there, but from this, this, you know, very early foodie um, who ended up heading up one of the most successful and richest empires in the world ever.
0: Uh, you know, it is Sunday, so um, maybe I can offer you a uh, a bit of a confession, so maybe yes, we are but- in, the, in the confession box together, and it's funny, I did a, a trivia challenge, oh, not... Um, Two moons ago, uh, two months ago, where uh, I asked the question about um, um, about uh, tiramisu, and I um, the, uh, yeah. the, the <laughs> uh, and I said so. When was uh, tiramisu invented? And can you tell me where? And I sort of got the the area right, but but I was out by miles because I um the. The 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 common wisdom was it was based in the '60s, and uh, because of your
1: research, you can debunk that. Yeah, look, look, and I think that's. I mean, I, I mean that that's one of. I mean, that's. I'm very careful in the book. Of you know, I start with a myth, mm. and then I then I try and debunk the myth. But but when I debunk the myth, I call it my truth because I. I believe that there's always another chapter to be uncovered, yes. and and the, and is, is, is exactly that situation. You know, all the references you can find talk about the '60s and Treviso. Whether the dish either yes. is a picked me up from the, the brothels of Treviso, or whether it's made by this restaurant called La Bescerri, yes, um, and the the, the owner, the, the owner, the wife, and the chef all cra- all claim they made it, along with another baker in Treviso. But there's a guy, there's a guy from about 50k to the to the to the to the east, east. The, in very near Trieste, and it was very much you know there was there was talk that maybe there was a dish like that, um, but I found a beautiful interview with with uh, this guy's this guy's daughter, um, uh, Flavia Cosolo, and he'd had a, he had a di- dish called Copper vetturino named after the town where the, his trattoria, the vetterino was, mm. and it was it was it was mascarpone um, it flavored. It was sort of mascarpone flavored with masala and sponge fingers, um, and and chocolate. So, I mean, very close. No, no copy, but pretty much resume. But most importantly, yes. in the interview, um, Flavia pulls out a poster from, from her, her dad's <laughs> records, and there's a poster of, of the chef in white tie, um, and it says at the top, um, home of my home at my famous tiramisu, and there's a picture of this this glass with the with the with the, with the fingers and the and the, and the the fingers and the chocolate and the and the, the zabaglione cream on top. And you go, well, here here we've got physical proof, incontrovertible. Physical proof that, and 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 look and look, it is it is an issue. it's the same with it's the same with the common myth that Pavlova is. And this is one of the things that I think we all rolled over on maybe ten years ago that yes. that, 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 that I don't, Pavlov is the New Zealand dish. We went, oh, yeah, and it became the standard thing. We'd all sit around there, you, me, yeah. you know, we'd all sit on like the Russell table Crow. somewhere again. And, go, and go, we go, we took Russell Crowe, it's okay. Yeah. They can have tiramisu, that seems fair. But, yeah. but when you, when, again, when you do the same thing, you, you look at the book that they, the, the book that is kind of the seminal piece of evidence there written by a woman called Emily Futter mm. in 1926. It's called New Zealand Home Cookery, and there is a recipe in there for the meringue cake. Um, and 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 you really, and the meringue cake reads really like a I and mean, You go, okay, that's that's it. We're done. We can't argue against that until mm-hmm. you till you realise that Emily Futter um, wrote a book f- f- in 1922, four years earlier. Yes, and it was basically called Australian home Cookery. So all she done is taken an Australian book, transfer, put New Zealand on the front cover to sell it to a new market. So and in that and in that 1922. Published in Sydney by Emily Futter, um, is, is that same recipe for the meringue cake. So, so the, it is this ever-unfolding selection of um of 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 point and counterpoint. Helped dramatically, I have to say, Cam. And I'm sure you've had people like this on the show, but Australian food timelines, Jan O'Connell does oh, an amazing what job. What a
0: resource that is. Can, can we she, just mention amazing that again? woman?
1: The and food Jan, 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 timeline. Jan, Jan. The Australian Food Timeline by, by Janet O'Connell. There's also a, a food timeline run by the the now run by the University of I think West Virginia, you know, which is basically for food of the world. Yes. There's also um, there's, there's there's also a wonderful woman called Animal Utrecht, who for the last who's an absolute Monty for, for your show, and mm. for the last few years has been basically her kind of her side hustle has been discovering the truth behind um, Pavlova, and yes. so so she, you know she is a woman who revealed that. That the first dish um the first dish ever credited to Pavlov was a, a, des- a dessert made in 1909 and it's called strawberries Pavloba. And it's like a it's like a strawberry strawberry sorbet basically yes. um in the USA so so she's so people like this it's great to be able to credit the work they've done. Now what Annabelle's amazing research shows is that is that the although we can we can take back the Pavlova from New Zealand, the New Zealand we now have to share it with um with with, with Germany because you can see this trail of a dish called the Schram Tort that starts in Prussia and then goes across what's the literal
0: translation for that? Obviously tort's easy, but I don't I don't I don't, das
1: Schramm. I don't know what dashram means. Das Schramm. It's probably delicious.
0: Oh, okay. Quick, quick, quick yeah. <laughs> reach, reach, reach,
1: reach reach for your Google, reach for your Google translate. Okay. But, but that, that that pops up. This recipe pops up in a in a German newspaper out of Texas. And it's basically you read and you go, okay, well, that's the Pavlova recipe. It's the same recipe. Now, what makes it? I want to
0: talk about, I'm sorry to cut across here, just because you you, had a good head (laughs) of steam there, but we're just (laughs) going to go, whoa, Bella. Um, May I just say, first of all, isn't it great to see using uh, the internet as a force for good? Um, And I know this wasn't on the list of the uh, the dishes we wanted to speak of, but one of the most astounding, just uh, ugly moments of the uh, book was Spaghetti bolognese
1: comes from Adelaide. Yeah, now we've got to be very careful. We've got to be very careful You've <laughs> got to be very careful here because um, uh, the, uh, what I spaghetti bolognese was big in Sydney in the 30s. Like it was the coolest dish. It was like yeah. it was like going out for it was it was it was like going to Sunda for that for the for the yeah. for, for, for the, the the roti, you know? Good I think did Yes. Lo- lots of photos, people in white tie tossing spaghetti bolognese at tables. But but the, the search for the first real bolognese recipe, you know, and there was a bolognese recipe in Pellegrini Artuzzi's famous first, you know, first modern Italian cookbook, 1891, but it doesn't it doesn't look at all like ours. Um, Elizabeth Davids, is, is uh, her recipe, 1955-6, is credited as being the first. But there I found, in an, an Adelaide newspaper... Um, a recipe for spaghetti bolognese with spaghetti, yep. with a tomato-based sauce, yes, so with minced meat. Yes. So tick tick just tick beef? The three single single things. Was it um yeah, just just just, just beef. beef. Yeah. just beef. Didn't need to be anything else for me, it's ground meat, tomato, mm. spaghetti that what makes a bolognese. Yep. Um and it's like that four years before anyone else thinks that um that, that there's been a written recipe for spaghetti bolognese. Here we found one in, in Adelaide. The kicker, and I'm very and I'm frustrated to mention this, but but the kicker is. Um, the kicker is, it actually it comes. It's an interview with a with Dame Nelly Melba's lead violinist from one of one of her orchestra, <laughs> wow. and he and, and he says it comes from his mother in law, um, who's Italian. So it actually hey, comes from and, and she. Thank God. And she lives in and she lives in and she lives in London. Oh. But but, when it, but that I mean and I mean obviously there's more work to be done there. I I'm I'm fa- we all know that we all know every. Food lover knows spaghetti bolognese doesn't exist in Italy, right? That's a yeah. that's a standard truth. Um, yeah. And probably it's you know just like spaghetti meatballs pops up uh, post migration in New York and the US, spaghetti bolognese pops up here and also in the UK in that kind of 1920s 30s time. So, yeah. but but wouldn't it be amazing if we could actually finally trace the recipe of spaghetti bolognese back to Italy? and actually say, because this is what I think is going to be the next step. But, yes. But what's almost more exciting The Bolognese
0: that, return, actually, we could call that. The, yeah, that's right. We, yeah.
1: we, we could find it. We, we, if we did it together, can we both get medals? Of, we, get, we get a Chevalier of or Whoa, whatever. We might, or the
0: even, we might even have a special
1: lunch. Well, that would be good. But, oh, but, with, with the Italian cons. But, 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 but one thing right. I'll say about that, what I find fascinating is what you discuss. I think everyone talks about this, Australia being the home of the meat pie and um and and chops of veg but actually when you when you read how much was written about what people eat around the world what we could eat here in australian newspapers from from the turn of the the 19th century and uh, the end of the 19th century onwards we were a really foodie nation oh, we've yeah. always been a foodie nation so I so know. i think i think i think we, we can challenge this idea that, that we we've always been really interested Okay. Uh, even before uh, even before Margaret Fulton.
0: And and you can even predate that to uh, the incredible uh, cookbook that came out of Tasmania in around about the 80s. Yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah that yeah, that one. Now, and, no, let, let, let me yes. go if I, if I may, if I if I could be yeah. so bold.
1: Please man. please thank, please ask a question. Uh, thank you. Thank you, man. Um now, <laughs>
0: first uh, uh, acknowledgement, these are beautifully photographed and um uh it's it's just it's it's a really, really great book and it gets a double elephant stamp from me. But I was curious, Woo-hoo! is there a dish um, in this book that has either become high rotation or has been a joy to return to
1: in this ah uh... I've you know I've never made I've never made buffalo wings before before doing this book. Yep, and and they're, they're on high rotation now. Yep. Um, there's the, there's something magical about the crispy skin being dunked into a kind of vinegary hot sauce. That's one. Ooh, and lots, um, and lots the,
0: of What about um, cocoa van? This is I'm just talking personally for me. Cocoa van is one just one of the greatest things when it's done right. Um, but that's one for me. Over to you. What 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 other ones for you?
1: Well, it's, I mean, Coca interesting. is interesting because it, uh, originally it was made with white wine and not red, and the red wine is much, it's a is a later yeah. kind of um, Julia Child's thing, which is you know, which is kind of makes it, which is which is a, a that's a weird thing. Yeah. thing so, Thai yeah. uh, Thai Curry, I uh, managed to track down uh, the first recipe. Published in the mid 1800s, and and it's it's like it's a time as as we recognise it now. It's got all those influences. Obviously, originally it came from the old Thai capital, made, mm. made by the House of a Persian merchant. But they use a squeeze of um, a squeeze of orange juice in there and plumped sultanas. Yes, and if you add a little bit of orange juice and sultanas to your to your own muslin curry, it just it takes it into this beautiful, fragrant. But also still very rich and comforting. Place it's a it, it's a really lovely tiny tweak, and it's one of those little gems you discover when you start when you start looking back at really old recipes. You can see how things have changed over the years. Salad niçoise, which isn't in the book, is another one of those examples. Yeah. the earliest salad niçoise was which was tomato and tuna and shallot with a dressing, and that's such a. Beautiful way of making a salad, but you don't need the potatoes and the, the, the black olives and the, the beans. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, um, I was wondering. Uh, oh, what, what, what else? It was also another thing that, that was um, a, a revelation for me was um, that uh, Thai green curry
1: is is actually a pretty recent innovation. Uh, you know you know, essentially, the, the Thai stuff was really was really hard. That you know there. I, I, yeah, there's so much stuff written in China about about food and about and about things being discovered. It's easy to track down. That's a that's an easy territory. But Thailand, it's much it's much harder to get to get dates and information out of. So I was indebted in that case. I just David Thompson sent, kept it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, where else? Where else do you <laughs> no, go? There's and, no and other he place. Was, and, and, and he is and he he was he was fantastic. Yes, there's this wonderful there's this wonderful period in in the Second World War. Yeah. Well, an a, a, a very—I should say—interesting character because there, he's there are certain different attitudes about him. But but the Field Marshal <laughs> who was running the country at that time, um, st- started promoting this idea that, that Thailand needed to be proud of its produce and proud of its own food, and so that's where you get dishes like Pad Thai and 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 Pak Ben as well coming through. Yes. So 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 there's def, there's definitely a sense of there's definitely a sense of um of, of these things popping up. But also the other thing you discover. Yeah. Is that some dishes? I'm thinking Sancho Bao here. Yes, you know some dishes you just you just can't find. There is no history. Nothing's written down. Mm. It just suddenly appears, and you go, "Wow, that's kind of how did that magical thing collective happen? consciousness thing."
0: Um, in, in the end of the book, uh, you uh, you do something which I recommend highly is that there should be a rice cooker in every home. Uh, Maybe we don't don't need a poppy seed grinder, which I agree with you, but uh, a rice cooker should be de rigueur. Um, And uh, also uh, acknowledgement must be made of your very creative use of indexes, uh, the secondary indexes, or is it the first index in the back? Where, Yes, here we go. Uh, More valuable index by themes, which I've never (laughs) seen before.
1: (laughs) No, but isn't that, that, that again? We talk, you talked earlier on about the internet being used for good. Yes. That idea of being able to search a recipe book by what you not by not by ingredient or by by dish name, but by what Vibe. am I going to cook on a Tuesday night? What's going to have minimal washing up? Um, I've got I've got I've got vegetarians coming around. What am I going to feed them? Yeah. You know, they're, 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 those are the real life dilemmas that, that we often find ourselves in. Um, and it's great to be able to have a, have a selection of of just jumping off points for people. We know with recipe books, you know, you the, the, so many people are so adept now at, at tweaking a recipe to, to make it fit their needs that yep. time. But, but it's nice to give them a, a selection of maybe different jumping off points.
0: Oh, uh, look, Indeed, um I would have to say uh, not only is this a uh, a book for the inquisitive, uh, it's also a book for favorites that you can make your own, um, you can subsume yourself with and, and make your own recipes and it's also a great value proposition. my God forty dollars. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think you can find it even cheaper than that if you look around. You can find it for like drops drops down to about about the thirty dollar mark Jeez. or lower and um three hundred and three hundred and something, three hundred fifty, three hundred fifty two pages, um and 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 about a year's worth of work. But, I, but you year. know what? This is wow. a, this is a, this is a labor. This is a labor of love. I I also really hope, Cam, that in. That, you know as the years go on you move into your into your into your you know continue through your fourth decade on radio people will come on and say remember that book Matt Preston wrote well I found this and it disproves what he said Oops. and I love this idea that that the more stuff will come out someone may find someone may find the menu from the from the hotel that now gone. Very near where Pavlova first performed in Melbourne, mm. where, a, where there's mythical stories of a Pavlova first being made there. Someone may may well find the menu, may find the notebook from the the young sous chef who was so impressed by it, who, who wrote that down <laughs> in 1926. And and that and that's that's the, the idea that yeah. maybe in an attic somewhere is the next chapter waiting to be written by another. Food nerd like
0: me. Well, isn't that the great thing about food and uh, thinking about food? It's ever-evolving. It's ever-changing, and we're looking back. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. Um, Now – Matt, thank you for your time. I hear you've got to get your Pleasure, kids wrangled always. and get out for, uh, yep. for, for lunch. Let's
1: yep. go. Red Emperor. Let's go, Yumcha. Yes, of course. Where else you go? Well,
0: um, have know. some fun. Watch for the go by. Look forward to see seeing you before too long. Thank you for your time. Congratulations. No, thank on you course. so much. It's a bloody ripper and it
1: deserves to be in every home by Christmas. Thank you very much indeed, Cameron. And lovely talking to you. Let, let, let's. Let's talk again sometime soon when there's no agenda and we can just just talk rubbish at each other.
0: Done. We uh, My people will get in touch with your people. Actually, that just means I'm going Great. to call you. All right. Yeah, I know. And I'll answer. <laughs> See you later. See Thanks, you, Bye. Bye. Woo! Ah, that's right. Triple R. Uh, it is. Uh, oh, the minute hand just... It does its inexorable sweep towards one o'clock. And, uh, but in the meantime, the great thing is we've got Michael Buschetta from WorkSmith who has commented on workplace issues, restaurant issues, and uh, with his fabulous organisation, there is a new initiative afoot. Michael, a very, very good afternoon to you. How you doing? Good, mate. How are you? Uh, I'm pretty good. I wish I was going to Red Emperor, though, for a bit of yum It would be good. That's where, yeah, that's where Matty Preston is heading off now. But uh, I got an interesting email from you uh, uh, during the week, and um, it relates to, well, the two most biggest challenges that, uh, that hospitality venues face going forward, coming out of lockdown and pandemics and this annihilation Mm. that we've seen around us, uh, the cost of goods and the retention of staff. And
3: you have an answer for it? Well, I I hope it's the beginning of an answer. Yeah, Uh, I
0: I don't want to gild the lily too much. Sorry, mate. Yeah, thank you for bringing me back. (laughs) No,
3: not not at all. Uh, Natural exuberance,
0: shall we say. Yeah,
3: we've been working on it for a long while, and uh, I guess through... Uh, having venues of my own, to, had always realised over the years, and this is you know even pre-COVID, that um, you know negotiating pricing um, with distributors and and, and producers was, it was all, something that was. It
0: all really depends difficult. on who you are and how big you are and how many <laughs> how many things you have, and uh, and if you're really exactly. big, you can save some money. But uh, yeah, it's nice to be able to even that out somehow.
3: Yeah, that's the idea. Um, in Australia, uh, we're, we're lucky on one hand; um, the public's really lucky that it's uh, an industry that's really decentralised, meaning that yes, the majority true. over over ninety five percent of venues in Australia are independent.
0: And especially uh, here okay. in Victoria, that might be a little bit different in New South Wales because of yeah. his, the, their history.
3: Yeah, definitely, and it does mean we we do get amazing independent venues um, throughout Australia, and in particular in particular in Melbourne, uh, which is obviously a great thing for the public uh, and the industry uh, in terms of the quality uh, that we have. Uh, But that is a bit of a double-edged sword. It means that all of us independent operators uh, are very (laughs) very time poor. A lot of us are in venue uh, a lot of the time. And whether you've got one, two, maybe three venues, um, it's something that you don't have time um, to to basically negotiate pricing. Uh, And the idea of the, the industry membership that we've just released and we already have over 30 venues on and, and starting to grow really quickly is that we use our collective buying power to negotiate better pricing with larger distributors. And we've, we basically take um, take the brunt of that work uh, on behalf of the, the collectives, uh, and really already getting, you know, pub group level pricing for a lot of goods, whether it's alcohol or non-alcoholic or dry goods, equipment, coffee, is all wound in there so mm-hmm. uh, we can actually uh, make quite a difference in, in saving for each month. Cleaning then,
0: chemicals, too, just as a thought?
3: All, all of that sort of thing. Yeah, all sure, that stuff. You know, yeah. Packaging, everything that a venue basically needs. Mm. And on the flip side of that, you know, the buyer's group isn't exactly sexy. <laughs> no. Um, it's, you know, staff aren't that interested, wouldn't be that interested in it. It no. uh, doesn't help them day-to-day. So part of the, the membership as well is keeping staff engaged. So we do a monthly workshop event events that, that um, team members can come to. There's a monthly uh, membership newsletter that comes out that's full of great content that, that we work really hard on uh, that's all industry-focused. And this, this sort of initial offering is, is what we've gone to the market with, and the response has been phenomenal with, the, I guess, the quality venues that are jumping on board and really supporting it. Yep. Uh, and we're really excited to... Grow this quite quickly outside of Victoria um, throughout Australia because we really see the need ongoing. Ooh. It's not going to get any easier. Yes, we're out of COVID, uh, coming out of COVID, I'll say, but we—it uh, feels like you know, being a venue operator myself feels like we've had just done a marathon or a couple of them back to back, and now we've been told we have to do a, a few more four hundred meter sprints just to get through because the, the difficulties we're all facing now uh, is. It's pretty daunting going to a pretty busy December with really low um, <laughs> Staff,
0: staffing, yes. which
3: is, is pretty, pretty scary. Yeah. Like you, you and I having this conversation at the start of COVID, yeah. that if visa workers and um, backpackers weren't supported, that we would be sitting here having this conversation again <laughs> a year later, a bit more. And uh, here we are. And yeah, here we are. Mm. And,
0: and, uh, and yeah, just, big, if I can just, Michael, just to, mm-hmm. just to stop you to... Um, you know, to paraphrase what you're saying is, yes, we've come – Melbourne especially is, has this glorious history of independent, uh, free-thinking, innovative people. Mm. And they were had the, the luxury of growing in that industry when the margins were easier and the world yeah. was easier and yeah. uh, and there was more fat to, you know, Definitely. to come on yeah. and – And this is especially crucial in these days where we are looking at the effects of inflation. We are looking at the effects of the cost of goods going up. We're in the middle of a property boom, so you know rents are more than ever. And this seems to become more necessary now more than ever.
3: Well, that's the thing that the the public aren't willing to spend more on a lot lot of items. There's, There's still that, you know. Thirty-five dollar, you know, top end for a steak in a pub. Like yeah. you can't. A lot of pubs won't go higher than that because I know punters will go somewhere else. Uh, it's the same goes. We we're just having this conversation the other day about the price of coffee yeah. uh, in our venues, especially our bakery, and uh, we should be charging at least fifty cents more. But there would be a, you know, there's always that cap on coffee, yeah. even though green coffee. Pricing around the world is going through the roof,
0: and so, and we're going to see more of that with the effects of uh,
3: global heating as well. Of course, exactly. So yeah. where where do we where does it you know, give and where I does think it has end? to happen on uh, yeah has, has to happen on both sides. The, the public are going to really have to start getting used to paying a good chunk more um, yeah. for for dining out, yeah, um, and understand why. And then on the other side, we need to get smarter about um, cost. Yeah, and, indeed. You know, part of what we're doing is around that.
0: Well, I, I support what you're doing um, at WorkSmith and uh, I was wondering if uh, just in conclusion uh, you could yeah. tell us the uh, the call to action, how do people get in touch, how do they uh, have a look at that and have a think about yeah. it for themselves, whether it applies to their business, whether they want to be a part Absolutely. of it, and if they do, how do they do it? Uh, you
3: just head over to worksmith.io, which is our website. Yep. Uh, Bunch more information on there about the industry membership, mm-hmm. and you know the over 30 venues that are on already are all different shapes and sizes: um, small cafe operators, bakeries, pubs, larger venues, event spaces. It's yeah, it, it certainly cat- it caters for and, and hospitality the
0: and hospitality groups as well. I see. I think um, the McConnell group exactly. is on board.
3: Yeah, trader houses on board. They were one of our earliest supporters yeah. and have, have really helped us shape this membership because they really believe in in that sort of collective idea of of working together as we move forward.
0: Um, I think we can. Uh, a lot of us here at Three Triple would uh, agree with the whole notion of uh, collective, and uh, mm. because well, that's where we are here at this exactly. at this station. <laughs> so, hey, we get it. We get it, Michael. So, uh, and remember, it's, uh, it's got that very, very funky .io because, hey, that's what you're going for. Michael, more power to your arm, mate. Uh, is there anything you wanted just to mention in
3: conclusion? Uh, no, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for your time, as always. I really appreciate
0: it. Brilliant. Well, look forward to seeing you in the flesh uh, soon and, uh, and more power to your arm. Thanks, buddy. It's a little bit past a quarter to one and uh, I thought what we might do for, for this is uh, maybe evoke a great river, a great river that runs between two continents and we're talking about the Bosphorus River in Istanbul and who better to talk about it is a man who has a delicious, amazing Turkish restaurant nestled in beautiful downtown Balaclava, Joshkin, a very, very Good afternoon to you, representing Tulum in Carlisle Street. How are you?
2: I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Uh, look, we're
0: great. We're uh, I'm in my happy place because I'm broadcasting here at 3 Triple R on a Sunday. So, yes, I'm good, but I really wanted to um, get you on the show, first of all, just to acknowledge all the work and the blood, sweat and tears that you've put into your business to keep it going during all these lockdowns uh it's It's been tough isn't it?
2: um yeah, it was very hard and very tough, obviously, but you know from the first lockdown it's teach us mm. rather than sit home and cry, <laughs> I had to find a solution
3: yes to keep
2: going and to look after my stuff
0: yes and to and just to keep all those uh those balls and delicious uh plates in the air. And uh, oh, yeah. and I remember we we had a chat about that, and one of the things that you thought you'd do is like you said, well, okay, I can't serve anything in the restaurant. I'm going to open up the window <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and give um, a little bit of a window into uh, your homeland and uh, yeah. and the river that uh, that inspired this dish. That well, one of the dishes, anyway, because I know you did more than one to keep it going, and maybe you might want to tell us a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I mean, when we're in lockdown, so um, I actually ordered, there's a two red card from Istanbul, which is like Istanbul street food. Yes. So, um, so we put that card outside, just front of our doors, yeah. and we put like all the Turkish pastries, Turkish burek. There's very famous um, um like a street food. It's called simit. I also oh, call yeah. it. It's bagel, but it's not bagel. And it's a, it's so a very
0: very thin bagel, isn't it? And usually it has sesame seeds on top of it.
2: Yes, but yeah, yeah. before you, before we bake it, actually we dipped into the and um, grab molasses, and then cover it with and um, roasted sesame seeds, and then bake it. So mm. it is it's quite amazing and delicious street food. Yes. So probably and then we did like a Bosporus fish sandwich. So probably that idea is saved us for the lockdown because it's become very popular. From the from the locals, they
0: support us very well. I think it's it's one of those things that once you have one, it becomes a a, a little bit addictive. Can um, now I'm just I, I'm, I'm this is funny. I'm asking questions. I'm not quite sure of the answer. But um, do you um, personally have you um, uh, been in Istanbul and tried this in its glorious situation?
2: Uh sorry, what do you mean?
0: Have you ever eaten a fish sandwich by the Bosphorus River yourself? Oh my god, of course. No, you know,
2: man,
0: I, yeah. <laughs> so so was, can you tell uh, tell us about it? What's it like? I mean paint us a picture okay. if you could.
2: Yeah, so you know, like I was born in Istanbul, so the especially this Bosphorus fish sandwich where it is, it's on Galata Bridge. So, you know, it's my and Galata Bridge is also just next to the, the spice market. So, I remember oh, like every every oh, weekend, yeah. even for for the businesses where I used to work yes. or for my house, I tripped down to the um to the Bosphorus and then do my shopping, all the spices, amazing colourful spices from the spice market. And then before on the way home, I always drop on this um, corner of uh, the Bosphorus. There's so many small boats, so fresh fish just grill on the boat in between um, sandwiches and tomatoes, cucumbers, beautiful dressing, and you just... You just had this sandwich with the breeze of Bosphorus. It's just amazing. What
0: is the... Just out of okay, so we, we're a river city, right? This yeah. this Yarra that runs through our city and divides us between north and south. I mean, it's not continents, but the Bosphorus is different, isn't it? It's it's a big river. Oh,
2: it, it, It's actually um, east meets west. Um yeah. so Istanbul is the magical city where East meets West in a perfect harmony. And it just yeah. looks, I think there's almost like twenty twenty two million people living in there mm. and with there's like amazing traditions, culture, the cuisine, it's make that the place is one of the best places to go for a visit. Mm. I I'm, I'm, I haven't been last two years. Obviously, you know the reason is, uh, but okay. I feel like I'm sick. But probably next couple of months, the best you know, it's top of my list to go back to, back to Istanbul.
0: I, oh my God, I, I would so love to go to Istanbul because for me um, it just seems to evoke yeah this this two two continents living in harmony. Tick. Yeah, that's right. And then you've got this, this, this river that that has um, of antiquity, of of uh, of ages. You know, this place that used to be named after Constantine, who separated from the Roman Empire, and then just looming on the horizon from the bridge, the Hagia Sophia.
2: Oh my God! Yes. Wow. So you know, it's become it become a museum, becomes a mosque, yeah. um, but it is it's it's a, it's a magical place.
0: Yeah, and and there must be, uh, as you say, you know, because you say that you know there's a spice market near the bridge, um, the the smells must be just unbelievable.
2: It's you know it's the, the the spice market. It's just like the all the all the spices all around from Turkey yeah. it just came in. All those like real beautiful cumins and the smugs and all the saffrons. They even like before you walk into the market, the whole around you can actually smell it. Yeah, uh, it's just you know it's easy to to be creative. As a chef, just walking <laughs> walking around that market is enough.
0: Yeah, because you've got such an amazing palette to to draw from, don't you?
2: Well, I hope so. <laughs> and the
0: one of the things that seems to um, personify Turkish cuisine uh, the um, the spice herb background uh, of the cuisine from really base spices which get used so much. Uh, there's a lot of cinnamon in um, in Turkish cuisine, isn't there?
2: So, I mean, it's, in Turkey, actually, we have seven regions. Yeah. And each region have their own food culture. It's actually different food that you eat in one region than the other region. For example, if you go to, like, Aegean, which is like is like the the, the the cost of uh, Aegean. It's it's based on olive oil. All the vegetable cooks in olive oil. And mm. um, if you go more inland to East, it's more meaty. It's more and um, spicy food. So uh, I think I think at the Tulum, I'm quite lucky to have that sort of background. Yeah. And so I, I just don't use only one idea of cooking. So there's like seven region and different different spices and cooking techniques that we use.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, let's um, uh, let's because we are starting to run out of time, and we need to uh, draw your focus and the listeners' focus to uh, two hundred and seventeen Carlisle Street, where your restaurant Tulum, uh, much appreciated, uh, lauded. Uh, and I was wondering, now that you've reopened, what sort of things have you uh, you put back on the menu?
2: Um, so um, like, we are so happy to, back, <laughs> to back to business and now we're able to talk our guests, which is amazing, so we can plate it, real, use real plates. <laughs> and yes. so we were actually busy to create new summer, spring sort of menu Yep. and um, it's already like we start using this um, fresh artichoke. And so, you know, I was talking about the aging cuisine, so we cook the artichoke with carrots and peas in chamomile tea. What? Yeah, so it gives like amazing... That's your broth? That's my broth, yeah. Is is there
0: acid in the broth as well to keep the colour and stop the oxidisation?
2: So, end of the cooking, you yes. add in more olive oil and lemon juice. Ah, so wow. that So, that's one of the cooking method techniques from that region. Camelot uh, So, it is it's actually, it's a, you know, dealing with the artichoke is a lot of work. Yeah, I know. Um, but the result is just delicious oh. and already people's favorite.
0: Joshkin out checks are always worth the effort, as far as I'm concerned <laughs> what what else is uh, what else are you doing in about the last um, minute or so we've got
2: yeah, so other than that, we also have a borek. so what I realized when we were in lockdown we call it its we just you know keep telling and people love that, <laughs> and I thought, okay, so if people like that, so we should use that idea in our restaurant, yeah. so we call that water borek which, I mean, I call it a star for all the boreks in Turkey. Um, it's like a couple of layers, but before you bake the borek we just cook all the layers in boiling water. Yes. And then we just layer it with lots of butter and parsley and feta cheese, and then we we'll bake it. And then, if there's an order, we put on black truffle emulsion on top of it. Wow. So it's so wow. much flavor, so much buttery, and it's it's also one of the, our new dish.
0: That sounds great. Well, if um, uh, how the bookings, uh, if people want to get in touch and book, how do they do that?
2: Oh, so we're very very busy at the moment, mm. and I definitely recommend to everyone to book online. Please, so yep. it's on our like Tulum
0: It's pretty easy. And T-U-L-U-M?
2: T-U-L-U-M, mm. Restaurant.com.au. Oh, one L, sorry. It,
0: thank you. Yeah. Carl's just um, put a finger up going one cam. Yep.
2: <laughs> and so it's very straightforward. Just go online and, and book.
0: We will do. Uh, it, thank you for uh, giving us an idea of the Bosphorus River and the inspiration. Thank you for your time. We look forward to seeing you you soon. Thank you. See you soon. And thank you, ladies and gentlemen, still here up next. Hi, this is Cam Smith, and you've been listening to the podcast of Triple R's Eat It, a weekly radio show about food and drink, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Sunday. Hope you enjoyed the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website.